This is Pause for Thought, a podcast brought to you by Animal Therapies Limited. For Danielle Hale, a career in the forces was a natural fit. Her father served in the Army Reserves for 40 years and her brother followed suit. So it made perfect sense for Danny to pursue the same path. And it was a life she loved. Being athletic and an outdoors person, Danny excelled in the reserves. After nine years, she jumped ship to the Navy for a new experience, learning the ropes as a helicopter technician, even working on the Sea King helicopters. But dream jobs sometimes come with a heavy price, as it did in Danny's case. This is her story. Danny, thank you for joining me today on Pause for Thought. That's okay. You started your career in the Army Reserves. What was the appeal of that life for you? There was a bit of family history. My dad did 40-odd years in the Army Reserve. My older brother had joined, and I think just given that environment, I just grew up sort of thinking, oh, yeah, I'll go into the Army too. You know, um, I just thought that was where I was going to be. You had nine years um, in the reserves. How can you summarise your time there? Was it your ideal job? Did you really love it? I did really love it. I loved it enough to try and uh, join full time. So, you know, I had a couple of officer interviews. Didn't really go my way, so I just kept doing what I was doing. And, Danny, you were in good health then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, look, I joined when I was in year 12 and being athletic and loved sports, I had no physical issues at all. You joined the Navy after the reserves. What prompted that decision? Like I said, I I thought the Defence Force was me. That's what I felt comfortable going into. And when I had failed a few, not a few, just, you know, once or twice, officer candidate with the full-time army, then I thought, okay, stuff you, I'll um, try the Navy and stop digging holes and carrying packs, you know, and stuff like that. So I went to the Navy recruiting and I saw their jobs and I really wanted to join as back then it was called marine science, which are the hydrographers. That wasn't open in my state. So they throw a few jobs in front of you and the best one I thought would be interesting was the helicopter technician. So that's what I joined as. And tell us about that role. So I joined as an airframe technician who So we deal with the hydraulics and the engines and the airframes. And then you also have the avionics technicians that deal with all the electrical wiring and, you know, all the sensors and that sort of stuff. So after recruit school at HMAS Cerberus, we went to RAF base at Wagga Wagga, probably as far as you can get from the sea for a Navy person. Uh, but that's where the defence send all their um, aircraft engineers, sorry, techos to go through. So we did that for about 18 months and then we got posted to HMAS Albatross in Nara, and I ended up in 817 Squadron working on the Seeking helicopters. What was that experience like? I loved it. Yeah, look, I was in the Defence Force. I was interested in pulling things apart um, and... This makes you put them back together the correct way, you know, not missing, no no leftover bits, you know. <laughs> um, I was the only female in my intake for that. So when our group got to the squadron, yeah, I, I was the only female mechanical technician. You were already experiencing back problems then? Were there any other health issues at play? 
No, no, it was really just um, back pain and really, really bad headache. What, what do you attribute that back pain to? Um, lots of lifting, lifting heavy things, digging holes in the Army Reserve. So I was a, a, um, a signaller, so we had to carry the radios. Um, and then when they shut that bit of our regiment down, I became a, a store a storeman. So we ended up dealing with everything, you know, the, the crates of, of weapons, the ammunition, the food, the clothes, and loading all that onto trucks and unloading it and putting it away. So some of these back problems were a legacy from your army days, but was there anything you were doing in the Navy that was also contributing to those problems? Yeah, well, in the Navy, it was about some, sometimes you had to push aircraft, not not very often because um, they gave tow motors for that. But even just opening the huge hangar doors that, you know, were nearly 50 years old or whatever, uh, toolboxes, probably climbing under aircraft. Well, you know, even just in, in the Defence Force back then, if you had to carry your bag with books and things in it, everybody had to carry it in their left um, not slung over their shoulder or on a, a backpack. And so even just carrying your own luggage to wherever you had to go solely in your left arm so that you can salute with the right, that just puts your whole back out as well. Even standing on the parade grounds totally still, I used to come off any sort of parade and my back would just be full-on pain. What was the reaction you got when you reported these health conditions to doctors in the Navy? Most of the time it was, look, everybody gets back pains or I distinctly recall one or two of them saying, you're too young to have back issues. But it's not only that. While we were in, you don't go and complain about anything because it ends up on your med docs and you're afraid that it's going to stop whatever posting may come up, especially in the Navy, you know, when you want to go to sea, you have to do a seagoing medical before you get to sea. You just learn to shut up and keep going. While in the Navy, you had multiple back problems over many years, finally leading to your discharge from full-time service in 2013 and transferring to the reserves. But your back problems were so bad that you had to have a spinal cord implant. Is that right? Yeah, the spinal cord stimulator I got probably around mid to end of 2016 and then it had to get replaced in 2018 because some of the electrodes had burnt out. Did you have other health conditions? I had really, really bad depression, which got yeah really, really, really bad. In 2019, you applied to Integra Service Dogs for an assistance dog and were paired with Poppy. Tell us about that moment, that day that you met her. Okay, yeah. Um, when, when Integra Service Dogs Australia offered me the dog, they specifically target guide dogs that haven't quite made the grade to be a, a, a guide dog. And I, I knew this, and so I knew it would be a Labrador. And I've, I've had Kelpies and Border Collies, and to me, when people say Labrador, you sort of think, oh, yeah, the standard standard lab, lab's a lab. Um, but when I went to the airport and... Poppy came out of that that transport cage. 
Oh my God. I thought I, I just said to her, Oh my God, you're beautiful. Look at you. And anyhow, the the whole tail and the back end wags and oh my God. She's <laughs> Yeah. And Danny, what is she trained to do for you? Um, well, she takes over my bed, but she's not actually trained for that. Um, so a, a lot of her work is to pick things up for me. Um, that That's a lot of what she does. Um, but she's also there on feeling anxious or, or when I'm really, really low. She like, like now, she just, she just comes and sits on my, on my feet. Um, I don't know how, they just know where they have to be, you know. Um, even sometimes I go to get up from the couch just to go to the kitchen to get a drink or something. I say, wait, wait there, I'll be back. And if I'm gone too long, then she'll come out to find where I am. What difference has she made to your life? Well, the initial, I was so, not to sound soppy, but touched and overwhelmed that there was an organisation out there that saw that I just needed a, a helping hand and for them to, you know, find find a dog for me, e- even that just is, is like, I don't know how you describe it, you know, to, to a normal person, maybe it's like someone giving someone a new car or something, but when someone offers you a dog that's going to take care of you, you can't explain it. And then when you the dog knows exactly what role they have to play, you know, I, I, I thank her every day whenever we go to a medical or go to the shops or come home and I say, thank you, Poppy, thank you for coming. What are the challenges you experience when you're out and about with her? Because your disabilities are not immediately obvious. Do you get, what sort of reaction do you get from people when you're in a public space? I get a lot of admiration for the dog. And I don't mind that at all. You know, you walk through a, a shopping centre with a dog and people smile immediately. And I've got no problem with sharing you know, her, her walking around and people being happy to see a dog. It's when people just sort of come up, talk to her and want to try and pat her, we get a lot of that. And I'm not very good at saying no, or but I have changed that now. People don't don't touch my dog. <laughs> we get a lot of, um, oh, who are you training the dog for? And when I say she's mine, they're looking, oh, oh, well, what does she do for you? You know, we get rude people who who say, why do you need a dog? You know, what's wrong with you? Do you think there's a growing awareness, though, that people understand that not all assistant dogs are for people who are blind or hearing impaired? Do you think that's changing? Yeah, it's it's getting there. It is. And there's a lot of, you know, little kids will say to their parents, oh, look, mummy, a dog. And you can hear the parents say to them, yes, but they're wearing a jacket, so you're not allowed to touch them because they're working. You get a lot of people saying, oh, I'm just going to whack a, a coat on my dog and bring them into the shops. And if they had any understanding of the process that you have to go through to get allocated an assistance dog, you know, you, it's just not that easy. <laughs> Talking um, about that process, I mean, an assistance dog costs a lot to train, you know, up to $30,000, $35,000 even. Yeah. And the process is fairly stringent. Do you think there's a growing recognition among the government um, or not of the value of assistance dogs and the extra funding that is needed to give veterans in need um, an assistance dog for therapy purposes? My answer to that one is, okay, it's on the government, on the Australian government side of things, it's been very slow for the uptake. I don't know 
why that is because when you look at private organisations like Integra and Young Diggers and Whiskey's Wish and all, all those places, they've they've known for a long time that dogs can help people with PTSD or you know depression or the, the physical things, but it's only very recently that DVA have actually acknowledged right assistance dogs are the real deal they can change veterans lives so let's get on board and that is only just maybe 12 to 18 months ago so it's very new do you think there's also a recognition that even though an assistance dog in itself may cost thirty thousand dollars the value they have they're actually saving not only saving lives but saving money because i'm sure the cost of mental health issues far exceed that yeah look i I know several people who have had assistance dogs they still have them with them and because of the dog they've been able to come off antidepressants now that then feeds them back into society and you know they'll pick up jobs and they'll get their confidence back to go out and you know try things again um so yeah in the long run they're helping society aren't they if if you get the people back out there happy and doing their jobs danny what what does the future hold for you now do you have other hopes and plans to do any things and now that you've got poppy is helping you in different ways she has already helped me. Um, UniSA has the Invictus Pathways Program. Everybody probably knows Invictus from Prince Harry starting the Invictus Games. But before Poppy came along, I didn't want to go and be in groups of people. I didn't want to go and talk to people. And I guess because of the, the pain and that not wanting to be with people, I wasn't doing anything but with her and the people at the Invictus Pathways program, I'm playing wheelchair basketball, you know, at least once a week. We go swimming. We do a gym session. I've been wanting to go back to study for years. So I've started just with one subject for this next semester because too much of anything um, just makes me so tired and exhausted that you really have to just take little chunks. But you know, I'm having a great time doing wheelchair basketball. So we might see you um, at the next Paralympics, perhaps, with any luck. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not that good, no. <laughs> it sounds like, um, I mean, you've had an amazing journey. You've, you've been through a lot. And, you know, it's, it's fantastic that you've, you've found Poppy and um, it sounds like you've got a positive way forward. Would you like to leave, um, you know, any veterans perhaps listening to this either still serving or just being discharged? What's the message that you would say to them about perhaps looking into an assistance dog as a possible form of therapy um, if they haven't considered that? Yeah, absolutely. And especially now that DVA have recognised the quality of life that an assistance dog can give to vets or the first responders you know and they've got certain organizations that dva will allow you to get the um, the dogs from don't discount what they can do for you but you also need to understand that um it's a commitment for you know the the, the dog's life so it, it's not just getting one for you know a couple of days and handing them back they become part of your life and family and I think they love doing their job you know I'm I'm hoping Poppy likes hanging out with me but yeah no if they can and if they really think they need it yeah go for it. 
Danny, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Thanks for joining us on Pause for Thought. That's okay. Great. Thank you.